welcome back to the Female Founder World podcast. It is Jasmine here. I'm the host of the pod. I facilitate all of our free workshops. And today I'm chatting with Maria Littlefield. She is the founder of a company called Owls Brew. They make boozy beverage that are created using 100% real ingredients. Hope you love this chat. Let's get into it. Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I want to kick off by inviting you to tell us about your business and what you're building in your own words. Of course. So I'm the co-founder of Owls Brew. At Owls Brew, we make clean, boozy beverages. Our line of boozy teas is a spiked and sparkling boozy tea. That's made from 100% real ingredients. And it really all started because Jenny and I, have, who's my, Jenny's my co-founder, and we've always, we, we say drink wise, and we've always had this idea that you can still have a good time, have a drink or two and know what you're putting into your body. And so that's really where our whole commitment to clean ingredients came from. Don't use any like artificial flavors, no natural flavors, which are not so natural, (laughs) no sugar substitutes and a lot of the other just kind of junk, if you will, that's in a lot of the other products in the market we we don't use. And so you can have a really delicious, our idea is that you have a really delicious clean beverage you can feel good about and also have a good time. And what were you doing before launching Al's Brew? So before we actually started in the world of tea, um, Jenny is a tea sommelier. And so we started with a company called Brew Lab and we, Jenny used to actually work with like chefs and restaurateurs and actually create custom blends for all their menus. So we, Sweet Green was somebody we worked with and dig in and a lot of like really amazing restaurant and hotels in the city. And so we started with a B2B tea company um, and we sold that a couple of years ago and really used that to fuel uh, Boozy Tea, which is what we have now. And prior to that, we actually met when we were working at a marketing firm. So when did Owls Brew actually launch? So we launched Boozy Tea, which is the product line I was talking to you about at the top of 2020. Um, but we have been making better for you cocktails and spiked drinks for a long time. <laughs> I'm so curious to understand, like, what was it that you saw happening in culture, in the world that made you think that a better for you booze company, like now was the time to do it and that people wanted it? Great, great question. And the simple answer is honestly that it was, it came from kind of us and what we were looking for. At the time, even like going back to when we worked together in marketing, we were, you know, going out a lot and it was very social, a lot of entertaining and, you know, you'd have a drink and just like feel terrible the next day or you'd get something and it was like neon green or like it would say raspberry and it tasted like cleaning supplies. (laughs) We were just like, (laughs) I don't understand. Like what is happening? Like what, what are we drinking when we go out that you would just feel like so awful? And um, at the time, actually... Uh, Jenny um, had a family member that was sick. And so she started tinkering and making different tea concoctions. She was amazed at all the health benefits you could get by just putting tea in water. And she was you know, antioxidants and vitamins. And she started um, blending for function. And then we started spiking them because we had all this tea in the office. She was like tinkering in the office of our, our uh, company. And um, we were like, wow, these are so good. Like, why is no one drinking like this? And so we actually started just making tea cocktails for fun. And, you know, we were, we poured drinks for coworkers and uh, everyone was like, wow, these are delicious. And then we started doing tea cocktails at events and we were checking tea around the country. And, you know, we did like really cool events like Sundance and Super Bowl, And it sounds super glamorous, except we were brewing buckets for like hundreds <laughs> of people. And so, 
so we honestly did that for a long time and that was really our, our proof of like kind of how we proved our concept and um you know it turns out that people care about what they're drinking even when they're drinking and we were definitely really early to that game like <laughs> the, the whole better for you movement in the alcohol space is really just beginning and uh, at the beginning people would kind of look at us cross-eyed and now we're like you know clean boozy beverages and people are like oh my god yes we get it right but at first everyone was like ah it doesn't matter we're you know drinking water. I feel like there used to be a you know for better for worse probably for worse, a mentality of like, oh, if you're drinking, like whatever, it's a write-off. Whereas now it's kind of, we're trying to find ways to make it a more, you know, sustainable part of, you know, if you're going to drink socially, how can we make it like incrementally better? And it's just like this shift, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And um, it's funny, I feel like a lot of these trends, at least in beverage, start in non-alc and then they make their way over to Alk like five years later or something. And it, it makes perfect sense for what's happening now, too. If you like think about, you know, we were, people were like, I remember they're like, Whole Foods tried to make like an asparagus water. I don't know. There was like something you know, like people were like doing all sorts of crazy functional beverages in non-Alk. And now it's just kind of that that is really just beginning in, in Alk. And people are thinking about, you know, even if you're having a, a boozy beverage, like what else is in it? Do you think that, I mean, it's obviously a huge market, but it's something that's gatekept by a couple of really big established companies. Like, do you find that all of these kind of new players coming in, are you all kind of competing for the same piece of the pie? Or do you think that the industry is really being disrupted and you're taking market share away from the big, you know, like the Diageos and the, and the big like beverage companies? I think we're going to see a big shift generally towards even... So to take a step back, I, I mean, I really do think that seltzers in general kind of started this better for you trend in alcohol. It got people like looking at labels, thinking about calories, carbs, and just general like nutrition panels in this industry. But I will say that those products never... They don't add anything back, right? They kind of like took it all away and they're all made with like artificial flavors or natural flavors, which are also made in a lab. No, no, like nutritional benefit, you know? <laughs> so it kind of stripped everything away. Um, and now I think we're seeing this big movement towards putting things back, right? Like filling that same occasion with ingredients that are actually provide some sort of benefit and also have flavor. Like there's also a big trend towards things that taste great. Um, and I think the intersection of those two is really what the future of this category is going to be. And right now, I think there's a lot of noise and a lot of people throwing a lot of things at it to kind of see what it where it goes. But I, I think, um, if, I mean, just if you look at it, it's always about like what tastes best and what is best for you at the end of the day, right? Once the consumer learns that there's you can have something that's better in this and fits the same occasion and even tastes better, it's like why would you go back? It's like once you can have fill your social occasion with something like that. So anyway, right now, I think there's a lot of noise in the category, but I think the general trend is going to be towards probably there'll be a shakeout and I think it will be towards things that are are truly better. You mentioned there when the consumer learns, do you feel like you've had to educate the consumer or do you feel like there's more of this kind of cultural shift and they're finding you as they kind of go along their wellness I mean, I hate the word journey, but their wellness journey. <laughs> you know, I think it's a little bit of both. Like I said, when we first launched, it was definitely, we were first making cocktails in buckets. Well, there was a big education. 
the education piece has definitely gotten a lot easier. Like consumers just understand what we mean when we say clean. I mean, if you think about like the clean beauty industry, right? Like people just understand what that means and within their life and their values and what they're looking for. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the trend is emerging um, for sure, but it's much less about education and people just kind of discovering us and understanding how, how it plays part into their lifestyle. I want to talk about funding for business. Any company that has a physical product, getting that off the ground can be expensive. And I know that you've uh, sold a business before. So I wanted to know, are you bootstrapped? Did you bring on investors? Like how have you made this transition into better for you booze? We've done it all. <laughs> yes. we. Whenever you're making a physical product, you're so right. Like I don't think anyone fully understands until they get into the business, like how expensive everything is. <laughs> um, it's funny, Jenny and I talk about like way back when we we're like, people were like, cash flow, cash flow. You know, we had no idea what we were doing when we first started. And we're like, what does cash flow mean? Like, of course, you just like make money. And you know, they're like, you get into it and you're like, oh, cash flow. Like, you pay for products and then you have this big gap and then you get paid by distributors like months later. I understand, right? Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, it's, it's, that is definitely one of the most challenging things when you have a physical product. And so, yeah, we have done, kind of done it all. We've bootstrapped. Um, we recently raised a Series A about a year ago, um, and that's really helped us propel our growth now. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, yes, we've done it all. I think it's a journey and you just kind of get to those next milestones. It is definitely one of the more challenging pieces of, of building a brand like this. Okay. So having done it all, what lessons do you have to share for someone who is just starting out on this path? Like, what do you think is the best way to do this? To start? To fund a business. Yeah. It's a loaded <laughs> question. I think the best way to start for us, at least I would say is like, do a really easy friends and family round. Like try to get people that you know, because at the beginning, it's really about the, this is like the worst, most cliche phrase, but like the ride or not the horse, right? Like when you're starting out, Pivot, businesses pivot so much and we've pivoted a lot and it's it's a journey, right? Like no one just like starts something and overnight it's a success. Like it's just, it's a journey. And so having people who support you um, and who are really like good, helpful partners in terms of like just whatever that means, like lifting you up, not being demanding, what, whatever that is when you're starting is, is how I would start. I would start with friends and family if you're doing like some sort of equity fundraise I would take your time involving more like strategic big businesses or strategic funds because that that can all come with time, but that really changes the way your business operates and the formalities. And that, that whole piece of it gets much more complicated um, when you have some of these kind of more traditional funding, I would say. And then there's also, you know, tools you can use like a convertible note. And that helps you maintain a little bit more equity and gives you a little bit of runway. It gives like you can do a discount into your first price round or something like that. That's also a nice way to start. Um, and then you don't have like true debt because I know that can also be scary as an as an entrepreneur starting out, but that can convert into a future future fundraise. Um, and then maybe you don't have to put a valuation on your idea, right? Or <laughs> your seed capital when you're just trying to like make your first production run or something like that. And then there's also, uh, we we never went down this road, but there's a lot of amazing like crowdfunding platforms that I've known a lot of people to have a lot of success on. And that's like an interesting platform, especially if you're very like social savvy. I think people have raised a lot of money in that way, which is interesting. 
And then of course you can also do like a small business loan or something like that. But I feel like a, for the most part, it's pretty common um, in this space to kind of go the more traditional equity route. Something that I hear from people who are, they're just starting out, they've got an idea that they really believe in, they're putting their own money into it. It's something I hear from, I think, you know, my network is mostly women in business. So I don't know if men have the same issue, but I definitely think that there there seems to be some mental block around asking people to financially back one of their ideas and especially like friends and family. I think that a lot of women feel responsible for the people around them and they feel difficult for them to kind of ask for someone to like believe in their idea and back their business financially. Do you have any advice to someone how to just like get out of their head on that? Yes. Two things. Well, I would say, first of all, you just have to go for it. Like, don't be ashamed. Like people raise money in every industry. It's just, it's not like you're asking for like $20 to go to the movies, right? Like this is potentially an investment opportunity. And I think you have to think about it like that, right? Like the goal is to build a business, right? And so it should be beneficial for everybody. And I'll also say like people say friends and family, but it doesn't literally have to be like your mom and your aunt. Like, <laughs> like a lot of times friends and family around. It's your network. Yeah, your network. And a lot of times it ends up being like, at least for us, it was like, oh, you start talking about this idea that you have and your business plan and what you're doing. And then it kind of gets, you know, someone's like, oh, I actually know someone who might be interested and it's like a friend of a friend or you're, it kind of expands from quite literally your, your family or your, your close friends. And so that, that also helps too, right? Like you're, it's not like they're doing it because they're like, you're on, it's like, you know, they see a big opportunity in, in what you're doing. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about marketing and and how you have found, you know, those really early customers when you're kind of introducing the Benefit Booze product into the market. What are some of those things that you did in the early days to kind of get your name out there and and let people know about what you were creating? The first thing that we did really was events. So our background was in events. And so we did as much kind of sampling and talking to our customers potential customers or customers at that point, getting feedback as possible. And I think that really helped us frame like what we launched and when. I mean, COVID was really challenging with (laughs) sampling generally. So that I feel like that strategy for everybody went out the window. But I do think it is so valuable having that interaction with people in your product. So that that was a huge thing that we did. Um, And we were still are always happy to for pretty much any type of event. Like the more people that can interact with your product, the better. And then, I mean, we do a lot of other traditional things, right? Like we have PR. <laughs> I do think at in this day and age, especially with all these big businesses that you're talking about, the more that we can kind of just, you know, tell our story and where we came from and why we're doing what we're doing can be really impactful and another way to connect with our customer. And, you know, we have social all that is really great. Like there's so many direct ways to chat with your customer now, even, even in our business, which really like, you know, be, it's a lot of like through distributors and alcohol is very kind of regulated. And so social has been another amazing platform, especially during uh, COVID to just like directly interact with people. Um, so I would not underestimate that, like have conversations in your DMs, <laughs> you know, find out what they like and why. Find out what they're doing. Pay attention to the stuff you're getting tagged in. Like, where are they? How are they using your product? What are the social occasions? What is the lifestyle? Who are they? Um, And that can really help inform kind of everything else that you're doing and putting into the market. 
Let's talk about distributors for a second because, you know, like you just alluded to there, alcohol is one of these, one of these industries that is gatekept, like for some good reasons, you know. But what is it like working with a distributor? How do you find a distributor? How big do you have to be to even be able to work with one? Like what is that relationship like for a, for a newer business? Yeah. So just to kind of even take one step back, the distributor, so in alcohol and where we are um, through mostly through the beer channel distributors, spirits are also a little bit different, <laughs> but we're almost, so basically because of the laws, we can only sell to distributors and the distributors sell to retailers. So we can't do anything direct anywhere. It's just, it's called the three tier system and that's just how it works. And so it's interesting because it's much, it's you really a partnership in this space with your distributor because you can't really have an established business without one. So when you launch with a distributor, you have zero sales in that state before then, because that's just, you can't. So you really work on building the brand together, which is even very different than like non-alk. A lot of that is completely kind of flipped. Like you have to build a business really. And then at a certain volume, you go to a bigger distributor, but in this industry, you're, you're building together. And so it really is a, a partnership in that way. Um, and it's, you know, it's, of course, after you start to grow, you can, you have, you know, well, this state over here, we're doing this. So I think we can do this here. You know, there's, you start to get some data from what's happening elsewhere. But when you're starting out, it's, it's really them and like believe them believing in your brand and the category and what you're doing. And then them wanted to take a leap of faith with you because, you know, then, then you're going after the business together. How do you actually find a distributor? Are you pitching them in the same way that, for example, you would pitch a stockist? You've got a deck, you find the right contact. Like, is that how it goes? Yeah. Usually it's a meeting. You set up a, some sort of pitch meeting. You talk You talk together. If it's like a mutual interest, then you decide like how that looks together. Like what are your expectations for growing the brand? And there's usually, they're not usually, there's always a few different options. So sometimes there's like some bigger, like there's like an Anheuser-Busch network or a Miller-Coors network or an independent network. And so you can kind of, you can meet with a few if, if that's of interest, you can kind of figure out who the best partner is and why. But yeah, no, it's literally just like you would pitch a retailer, which we, we also work really closely with our retailer partners, but yeah, decks and opportunities and <laughs> your innovation plans and all that. Yeah. And the last question, Maria, that I ask everyone who comes onto the show is just for a resource. So something that's kind of helped you along as you've grown the business, it could be a book, it could be a podcast, a community that you're a part of online, something that you recommend other people kind of get into. Yeah. Interesting question. So I guess I have a few thoughts. So the first thing, and this isn't really specific, but the Thing that has been so valuable for us is building out our network of mentors and advisors. Really early on, we started bringing on advisors through just like vesting equity grants and, you know, someone who could help us either with like legal or someone who's built a brand from zero to big before or a founder or just people who had different expertise in different areas. Because a lot of times when you're, I'm sure in any industry, very much in this industry, when you're building something, sometimes it's like even just understanding like the vernacular and like what people are saying, what they're asking for and like how certain things work is so complicated and you can feel like you're reinventing the wheel a lot. And so asking questions has been, anytime we didn't fully understand something, asking questions has been so incredibly valuable. And I don't know, I would just encourage like 
all founders to to think about building out a network of advisors. And you know, you meet people along the way, and you're like, oh my god, this you have this conversation has been amazing. Like, would you be interested in being an advisor? And that can mean whatever you want. Like, you can we have quarterly advisor meetings, but you don't you can do that, or you can not, or you can have one on one relationships, or kind of however that works for you. But it's been really really incredibly valuable, like the most valuable thing more than like any book we've read or any particular thing I could point to in that sense. And it's also nice, I would say, um, in addition to that, like community is always great to join. Like I'm, we're, Jenny and I are actually both part of the Female Founder Collective, which is, yeah, started by Allie. We love Allie. Yes. And it's just, it's a really nice to be part of other communities where you can talk to other founders just about their experiences, because even across categories across industries like people are all have have the same sort of challenges right um and so it's nice just to be able to either like be like have you know you know have a vent session with them or share your excitement or how did you do this or (laughs) (laughs) no absolutely there's nothing like learning from people who are doing it the same yes I was like it's a very it's a very unique experience I think building a especially consumer product business these days and so having just other people doing it can also be like incredibly helpful. Well, Maria, thank you so much for coming on the show and for telling us all about Owl's Brew. It was awesome to hear about your story and thanks for being so generous with all of your advice. Oh, no, my pleasure. It was so nice to chat with you. Hey, did you guys love that? If you did, please drop us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Chat to you later.